Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Julian. How are you? Hi. Good to, good to see you. Yes. All good. Thank you. Excellent. Well, well thank you so much for coming on today, and um, um, I'm just interested, you know, why, why did you call your company Dr. Julian? <laughs> yeah, I get asked this, and actually, it was not my decision initially. Uh, I, I didn't. I, it's quite embarrassing, really, isn't it? But I think we've kind of rolled with it. It was the head marketeer of Dyson that was a friend of a friend who uh, initially, when we were asking what we should name a company, um, advised us around that. I mean, it was interesting because there were companies that pushed Doctor I, Doctor Doctor Now, Doctor Plus, Doctor Here, Doctor There, Doctor Anywhere. You know, you've got all these Doctor Doctor. Do- sort of generic type names that I felt and she felt could get lost uh, as another one of those generic ones whereas what we wanted to try and do is bring a personality into it and actually a more memorable type of name um, and I guess just sort of start there with Dr. Julian as a something to is it, you could more remember that by mm. putting a, a personality behind that and the idea of what we tried to do is the issue with um, therapy and online therapy especially is that it's a totally unregulated market at the moment. Mm. So, um, you know, there's lots of people out there with their own websites or whatever that had no training to work online. Um, and what we wanted to try and do is bring a level of regulation, a type doctor level of regulation into that marketplace. Um, you know, there's no CQC regulation for therapy. So there is no governing body as such. There's just um, organizations like the BABCP, um, the BACP, and then there's an online uh, So it's a bit like coaching, really, because coaching doesn't have any regulations. It's just um, associations and organizations that take up the mantle that we are the leading um, group of individuals who know what we're talking about. So pay us lots of money and follow us, and we'll put a stamp on your name, and off you go. Open your... Well, exactly... Yeah, and you can set up some sort of body if you want to. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, I mean, there was a suggestion the other, you know, a few years ago when I was sort of into that kind of coaching sphere that, you know, why don't you set up your own coaching association? <clears throat> Which is quite interesting because, you know, it, it just shows you how um, pretty much the market is open for this kind of um, aspect. So, I mean, how do you regulate this if there's no overseeing regulation so for me the and for my psychotherapy director the importance of training and qualifications to work online uh, and also having the support structure the the governance of of, um, having supervision uh, and having somewhere to go and having a structure of risk management and those types of, of things so I think you know the problem with online at the moment is people think I'm, I'm a qualified therapist. I can just work online. That's absolutely fine. I'll work on Skype, and they, they go and do that. But one of the we, we run a training course online, and one of the leading things is 
you only don't know what you don't know until you know it, which is quite interesting. And there's a lot of nuances working online that is very different. And some of the really expert therapists who thought that they were very good online made some massive mistakes, especially if you're working across countries, because you've got so many jurisdictional problems that they have to know about. Um, but even just working within the UK, uh, there are still quite Can a few Can you give me some examples of those things, Julian? Well, I mean, when you're working, if you're working with someone in Ireland, you've got to know about the abortion uh, rules there. If someone's going through an abortion, you know, there's sort of things like that where mm. they could say really the wrong thing mm. uh, and get people into serious trouble. Um, they can be breaking laws. Mm. If you're working with someone abroad, that certain video connections or whatever are banned. You know, you've got to be mm. careful of how that works. Um, you've got to understand how you man- how do you manage someone who's going to kill themselves in mm. Abu Dhabi. Mm. When you're in England, so what? What are the, would the, someone who works face to face understand the ways of how to manage that in a safe way? Uh, mm. You know, unlikely. So because they've got to have established the correct um, safety pathways with that patient from a, at the very beginning, understanding you know who their doctors are, who to contact. Because it's about making sure that you've got people you can contact mm. um, to keep that person safe, basically. Um, mm. And even in, you know, even simple things uh, in the UK like camera positioning. So if I put my camera down, you'll only see my <laughs> whatever. I mean, that's very simple. But then also um, being in a room where no one else can observe you or hear you. Hmm. So you're speaking about confidential things. You have to make sure that no one is behind who can see that person. You have to be in a room, a separate room. That's that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, and sometimes you get patients that are in the supermarket on the on their on the on the app just trying to do the therapy session it's sort of, that's not necessarily the appropriate place to do a therapy session so yeah you've got to be a little bit um careful on on that and and in 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 terms of online therapy and face to face therapy i yeah. know you know previously online doesn't didn't exist and 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 now it it's here I mean, how do you see that playing out? Do you think more and more people will be using online, or, or, or I guess it depends on the demographics and yeah. you know the condition. But sort of, given that you're you know you've been in this game for some time, how do you see this playing out? Well, I guess um, I see it as the future. I mean, as we know, technology has got so good now, mm. and the internet has got so much better. With you know, we're going to get five G or whatever. So the fact is, in the past, where the connection was poor, mm. it doesn't really work. And you know, you and I are chatting now on Skype, and as you say, we've built up a relationship. And you, you were commenting how you felt it, it's less intimidating being in your own home mm. than speaking to someone face to face. So some people, when they can see the therapist and they can have that therapeutic relationship, um, you can actually get a better session out of it. You can have your dog on your lap mm. you know, in a comfortable environment, and you can you can talk to the therapist. I mean, the platform that what I wanted to set up was giving patient choice back, so they can choose whether they want their video camera on. Because some people feel intimidated having their camera on, or they're not willing to have the camera on at that point, and they could, they would just want to talk. Some people don't even want to hear the voice, and some people prefer doing messaging. Therefore, they can also do that. And what's fascinating about the evidence is um, there's good evidence out there now showing that the video connection even with when it was a poorer connection when they did this research they had the same or better therapeutic relationship hmm. uh, and better clinical outcomes with better satisfaction and now the evidence coming out on texting is also better despite the fact you think 
that wow. that would be, you know, how, how it, it's down to patient preference for me. I mean, if they want to do that, then they should be able to do that. And we shouldn't be dictating what, what is best for the patient. The patient has to choose. So, it's, so, so, so essentially, the more choice that they have in these, in these aspects, you know, the better the results may be. Well, I mean, that was my, my thinking behind it. So the reason I set this up in the first place was I was frustrated as an A&E doctor seeing so many people coming in trying to kill themselves. Um, and when speaking to them, the main reasons were I just haven't been able to store them on a waiting list for therapy or, you know, the, I mean, the NHS do a great job, but we are very limited resources, especially with therapy. The waiting list is six months or whatever. It's crazy. Uh, and they're not seeing the right people. Uh, so, you know, they, or they're seeing someone that comes and does a, t- a risk management tick box and then they feel ignored because they're just doing a tick box and they're not actually dealing with the issue. So the way you can treat these people is actually dealing with their problem and having the correct specialist who under, you know, who's, who can actually deal with that. So what I found, if you have a platform that has, um, you know, all these, um, all these specialists on there and you can have unlimited number of specialists because it's a platform, then patients can choose the right specialist for them and they can be matched to that specialist. So we have matching fields that can match them to that. And then they can choose the, the therapist that's right for them and they can speak to them beforehand to make sure that you're getting the matching right. Um, and that just means that you're able to, um, you know, to build that therapeutic relationship from the start because you're giving the patient back that power. They're also booking the appointment time so they're, they're going to actually turn up to the appointment and they can have it whenever they want, so out of hours or and then they can have it from home. So it means that, you know, hopefully you see a lower DNA rate. Yeah, that was the yeah. thinking behind it. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's quite interesting that, um, you know, previously you had no say in who you get as a therapist. And there's very few therapists out there, you know, when, when you don't even have the choice. Um, but I think there's... <clears throat> sorry, I've, 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 I've had this lurgy for, for, for some time, but I'm getting out of, over it now. Um, Therapists. I mean, I think there are more and more therapists now, whereas before it wasn't such a, um, you know, kind of a profession that people would would even talk about. But now we have so many therapists out there, and it's much more acceptable to uh, not just see a therapist, but actually be one as well. <laughs> which no, is definitely. Quite, yeah. You know, which is quite interesting. You know, I, I think this sort of notion that even self therapizing and 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 just sort of being more more acceptable to talk about therapy um but then it brings us back to you know who's a good therapist and you know how do you regulate things and i think that will develop over time you know with with yeah. um with you know companies like yourself and you know other enterprises and you know th- th- this is where an innovation comes in from enterprises like yourself you know, rather than big institutions like the NHS, and um, uh, have you been kind of spearheading that? Would you say? You know, are there are people looking to you for for innovation more than the NHS? Well, I guess I mean, we're we're trying to set the standard of regulation um, for online therapy, with and we've been well recognised from all the institutions that we've mentioned before. As that as that as that's luckily we're getting a reputation now for for setting the standard. Um, because of our training and our gov- governance levels around that, but the um, yes, I think we know how how, dif- how difficult it is to innovate within the NHS. I got frustrated being in the NHS uh, doing that. I'm still an NHS doctor, but I decided the way to innovate was to create a company to to be able to do that because I saw the way way around that. And now uh, I'm now selling back into the NHS, uh, but 
people that gets a very bad reputation uh, of, of selling back in um, and I think what we have to understand is NHS basically subcontracts everything it does uh, even in our hospital all the obviously all the, all the bed sheets everything is subcontracted um, and what we can actually do by using the online platform is save them a third of the price so it, it's able to be much more cost effective uh, as well as hopefully better for patients so that's where where my thinking is and that's what we've seen in our trials that we've done so far within the NHS that are now ongoing so so yeah. that's quite interesting so you in in the NHS and yet you come out to innovate and then uh, pass it back into the NHS so that's sort of a really good example of how doctors who are interested in innovating in the NHS and yet are frustrated by the system there's a way of yeah. uh, working in both essentially you know influencing and innovating at the same time yeah exactly and um they, they have set up now quite a you know they're trying to get um, a lot more innovation done within the NHS which is great um, I mean they're setting up certain hospitals certain trusts have sort of innovation hubs and things that you can do but they don't really give you a, a great level of support to be fair I mean I don't I can't comment on I've just seen what some of them are so if you want to do it you really have to just go out and do it yourself I mean there's no other way of doing it really <laughs> it's, it's I mean it's tricky. much quicker it's yeah, much yeah. quicker you learn a lot a lot more and you get to see yeah. the outside world because it's a massive world outside the NHS. And that's no, something exactly. people don't necessarily appreciate when you're in the NHS. You think, you know, it's sort of, that's it, that's all I've got. But actually, once you take even half a step out of the NHS, you know, yes. you think, wow, so, there's so much opportunity here for innovation and, and, and just being yourself, really, rather than part of the whole system. Totally. And the best people to do this... Are, I think are the people that work in it, right? Mm. So the doctors, the nurses, the pharmacists, everyone. And and the point, you know, we all do QI projects, don't we? And we go, oh, okay, well, I improved that. But actually, look at what is going wrong in your area and go, okay, actually, let's look at this on a wider scale. Is there something that could really improve this? If you have an idea, honestly, just go for it. I mean, there's there's a great pro. Well, there's a clinical entrepreneur program set up by Tony Young that you can join that, that gives you some support. But, and then there's all these accelerator programs. But I think you have to sort of get yourself going initially. Um, but yes, it's... Um, what uh, are the three sort of steps that you would advise someone who has an idea, works in the NHS, and just thinks, shit, you know, I'm not getting any shit done here. You know, how do I go? Um, what are the three top tips? The, big, the biggest barrier is going to be finding finance. I was able to raise between family and friends, luckily, to start off, just to get a minimum rubber product. So, depends on what you want to do. If you want to build an app, or you want to you want to build a platform, or whatever, then you need money to get that going to start with. I mean, the best thing to do always is to test, you know, do your market research and to test out uh, a product that hasn't been built properly or isn't, you know, <laughs> if you can do it on a piece of paper to test it first, do it on a piece of paper. Don't build something that doesn't work uh, or isn't needed. Um, and I think you know, be careful with building apps because there are how many thousands, hundreds of thousands of apps out there now that are, all, you know, and they're now trying to regulate those apps into into healthcare libraries. But even those apps don't get seen. So just be careful building a random app because make sure it hasn't been done already. Uh, and if you if you feel like it's a real innovation, then definitely, uh, but test it out as as simply as you can to start with. You then need to try and build a minimum viable product, which involves getting some funding together, maybe through family or friends, and build it as cheaply as possible. Again, it's always about testing it, um, see what, what the interaction is, and then once you've got some traction in that, then you can start to, uh, you know, you've just got to keep building up from from that minimum viable product. But the biggest thing is just thinking people can't do it. 
you can do anything you put your mind to, so you just need to just go out and do it. There's so, a lot of hard so, work. so changing that mindset, you know, that this is impossible to, well, this is possible to, yeah, do you know what? I've started this, let's keep going. And and what made you keep going in this sort of, because I mean, it's, it's very difficult. You know, being in yeah, this still, situation, it's so frustrating. <laughs> I get very frustrated sometimes as well. Still, and we're still we're we're still early days. You know, we're very early days. I'm lucky we've got two NHS contracts now, and that's great. But it's we're still early, and we've got backed by some accelerator programs and things. But we need to. We we still haven't done a big external raise yet, which we need to do. Um, but we wanted to prove the concept. But I think what keeps you going is sometimes you get the the patient satisfaction from it. So I had a patient phone me up saying you've changed my transformed my life thank you so much keep doing what you're doing you know that gives you motivation of course um you've just got to as you you know a lot of the things is about we're talking about burnout i'm a very prone risk to burnout because trying to i, I was last year i was trying to hold down a full-time job in gp training and because they wouldn't let me go part-time and run the business which is important now impossible luckily i'm now part-time you've got to just you've just got to keep going from what your vision is so you've got to see the, the thing and you just can't give up um, meeting quite a few successful people um, like Jean from Touch Surgery who I know quite well you know he, he was his biggest piece of advice to me again was just keep going if you've got the vision you understand it you've just got to keep going and there will be so many barriers so many people saying no the NHS is a prone culture to middle management blocking it um, if you've built something it needs then they will want it and it, you don't have to sell into the NHS either. I mean, there's other markets. That's the yeah. point. Like, and don't just narrow your market to, to one area. Like, we're we're, you know, we're working at you know, some insurance companies, building up from that, um, and uh, and other corporate companies as well. So you don't you know it, it, don't just narrow your market. See where it's going, but then have some focus, working out where it's best to go to. Yeah, yeah, de definitely. I mean, it uh, you know. The bigger your net, the better. I mean, that's my philosophy. You need to sort of throw yeah. that net out. And I think this thing about being super niche and and what have you, and cornering your market and all that. I think that's that's old old news now. No, definitely. And we we sort of went across the whole market, but we had to pivot quickly because we basically initially were there for the private market setup. Mm. But actually, I then realised quickly we didn't have enough resource to market effectively. And you know, unfortunately, I think in this country would we're not getting enough people paying for their own therapy so it's very difficult to mark, get it out there enough to get people buying and they can still pay for it privately on the platform anyone can log in and pay for it but it's difficult um, to, to make a real business out of that so mm -hmm. where I saw the biggest market opportunity and where my original passion was is to try and get this into the NHS where I think it, you know where it could save money but there's also the, the corporate sectors I mean you're at risk of if you spread your net too thinly of not getting anything done so what you have to do is find where it's working initially and then focus on that area to start with and then build it up from that so mm -hmm. currently what we're doing is we're focusing now on the nhs and insurance areas uh and building up from that because those are the two areas that we think are the uh, you know are, are the biggest potential from for that um but yeah and, and you know you seem area. to be quite business savvy where, where where do you learn all this sort of business stuff from i don't know i uh, <laughs> i've always i've always been my dad was an entrepreneur right um, he set up our price records back in its day, which was an old music chain shop. Um, luckily, sold that on a long, long time ago <laughs> before the internet came out. Um, but yes, the uh, I think I had a, a flair for wanting to do entre something entrepreneurial and, uh, rather than just being a doctor as well. But I think reading, uh, I, I've read a few books. You know, well, 
I can't really name. I, I just you just pick it up along the way, and you you just got to do it, mate. Basically, you just, just got to do it. Yeah, you just got to put yourself in the middle of everything and just learn as you go along, and just failure, 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 and just failure, failure. We do. <laughs> I've not done a single business course or degree or anything. Wow. And but the, you just got to. I don't think you learn you learn business by doing the business. I think yeah. and having common sense. So for a business to work, it's profit and loss, right? So you've yeah. got to work. <laughs> And that, that's pretty easy to understand. So it's sort of understanding where that could go. So what are your three, I mean, we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. What are your three top tips to sort of doctors who want to get into business and um, are having cold feet or, you know, really interested, but they they still think the NHS is, is, is the be all and end all? So I think um, for the NHS to move forward, you have to innovate well to, for that to happen uh you have to have so the first thing is don't be afraid of, of of doing something go for it if you fail and you know most of us fail and we're, we're, we're always going to fail then pick yourself up and read it and don't be afraid of failing yeah. that's the thing people are afraid of just don't be afraid just give it a go like nothing won nothing nothing lost just go for it yeah. um nothing gained nothing whatever that's saying as i kind of remember saying but yes go for it i think number one um, number two, you well, really find the need. Yeah. So and understand the need. Yeah. You understand the need because you're working in it, but understand that how this need can be fixed. Don't try and fix something that doesn't exist, uh, and don't try and do something that isn't going to be able to be turned. You know, isn't going to work. So, yeah. for you to for you to run a business or to get investment to be able to help the NHS, it needs to be investable. So it needs to have do your numbers first so make sure that it could it can be profitable and i think you know those are probably the two biggest uh biggest steps and the third one and the third one um keep going (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you know it is a marathon at the end of the day you know it's like life business like life you know it's not as if you know that's it you just got to keep going because that's the only way for things to to change and for things to be positive and something to, to you know that I, I mean for me it's about legacy for other people to sort of be talking about the stuff that you know that you're doing you know that really pushes me on and and you know keeps me going even in the, you know in the most darkest of times um great julia how how, how can people get hold of you and um uh, find out sure. what you're doing and all that stuff um well the website if you want to have a look at the website is, is www.dr dr-julian.com or just google dr julian um my email is julian at dr-julian.com very happy for anyone to email me um you can also get hold of me through the website um but yeah check it out um we are expanding into the nhs and we work privately and yeah trying to improve access to mental health so um yeah be great we're, we're also looking to expand the team so anyone interested uh, get in touch wonderful thank you so much julian Great. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. 
It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, and I'll see you next time.